Let's talk about boring stuff. What'd you eat for breakfast? I had donuts. Mm, that sounds nutritious and delicious. This episode is sponsored by Component One, make- makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. This episode is sponsored by Gaslight Software. They're putting on a mastering backbone training in San Francisco at the Mission Bay Conference Center, December 3rd through 5th of this year. This three-day intensive course will forever change the way you develop the front end of your web applications. For too long, many web developers have approached the front end as drudgery. No more. We'll help you build the skills to write front end code you can love every bit as much as your server-side code. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 35 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hi, guys. Tim Caswell. Hello. And AJ O'Neill. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about Node WebKit. It seems like Tim is the most familiar with it, so why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about it? All right. Basically, the idea is to make desktop apps using Node and then having HTML as your display layer for your widgets. And I started a project doing this several years ago called TopCube, but it failed miserably because I'm not that good of a C engineer. And since then, a few projects have taken up the idea. Node WebKit is one done by Intel, and the main engineer there is Roger Wang. So on Roger Wang's GitHub, there's Node WebKit. And another popular one is called AppJS, and I think there's a couple others as well. And some other people have taken over my TopCube project and they use it for some Maps app. And all of these projects have the basic idea of you have a desktop native app that has Node and WebKit inside of it. So, sorry? So is it kind of like PhoneGap or some of these other things for mobile? Yeah, it's it's similar to PhoneGap in that you get you get more privileges than a browser would have in a more native experience. Except instead of just the phone gap extensions, you get all of Node. You get the full Node environment, which okay. means you can reuse all that existing libraries and ecosystem. So how does this compare to the Chrome native apps thing? Because I know that they are sort of working on some, well, they already have some like JS APIs to let you touch stuff on the file system and things like that. Does this just, just everything available? It's not sandboxed at all? Yeah, I mean, this is a native app. It's not in your browser at all. It bundles its own oh. WebKit. Oh. It's, it's more like, uh, what was that Flash thing they had years ago? Uh, Adobe Air? Air? Air. Yeah, it's like, it's like Adobe Air that doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's really cool. Boy, if you, if you take all the suck out of Adobe Air, I'm one, I'm, I'm just have to wonder what's left. Plus, plus awesome. Like, Node WebKit in particular isn't just WebKit, it's Chromium. So you get all of the HTML5 goodness that Chrome has, nice. plus all of the networking goodness that Node has, and full access to everything. Oh my gosh, my brain is just like expanding right now, trying to think about how this stuff works. This is really I know. Cool. It's like so explode. The way that Node WebKit works, and a few of the others, is they merge the event loops. So you can actually call your, your Node require from a script tag in your index.html, and the two contexts are bridges, bridge, just like it was an iframe or something. Uh, okay, say that again. I didn't completely follow. 
So a context in the browser, each window has a context. Okay. With your local copy of object and window and, you know, all those global constructors. Uh-huh. And you can have multiple contexts in a browser if you have iframes or window open, window open or that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. So what, what they do is they merge the, the browser context with the node context. So within oh, the node context, you have process dot whatever and require and all the node stuff. And they can just reference each other. They're in the same process and the same thread. So this seems like lots of people are doing stuff where they try and detect whether they're running in a browser or a node. It seems like you could do that in such a way that it would totally break if you were doing stuff with Node WebKit, right? Like yeah. If Windows defined, then I assume I'm in a browser and I like overwrite process and then it's all messed up. One way, since they are two separate contexts, is you have two different globals. And by, by lucky chance, Node and the browser work different. So in Node, it's global. And in the browser, it's window. So you can have, you can use require.js and that will set window.require. And then you can use global.require and that's nodes require. Oh, wow. So, so it, it solves the problem of any naming collisions between the two, uh, the two contexts? Somewhat. For, for convenience, they copy a few of the node globals into window global. But what I usually do is just delete those and just use global.require directly. Oh, that so how, how does it work with the event loop and the browser's own event loop? How do those work together? And that is the tricky magic. In fact, I've been spending the last two days trying to help them with their Mac version because the integration is terrible. Or, or slow, rather. So browsers have a blocking event loop, and then Node has its blocking event loop, and they can't block each other. And so there's various low-level hacks you can do to make them play nice. And it, it varies from platform to platform, and they've pretty much got that all ironed out. So as an app developer, the two event loops just are one event loop now. They're merged. Man, I don't know. I don't like want to know what horrible things they had to do to get that to work. <laughs> yeah. That sounds it's like not a too bad on Linux and Windows. On a Mac, it's pretty nasty. And we're, Why? Because they don't have like KQ and stuff or what? Well, no, yesterday we tried KQ and I put it in my app and it made it worse. And so today we're trying another hack. But I, I think there's hope because the, the LibUV core contributors have been working on this as well. They've been trying to, cause there's a, there's a node module that Tutel Nate works on that's Cocoa bindings for node. Then it's the same issue. If you're doing node and Cocoa in the same process, you have to merge your event loops. Right. And so we've been working on this problem for quite a while and I think we're near a good solution. So are there any like example apps built with this that I could just see and run? Yeah, on the Node WebKit site, there's a few apps. The um, Light Table, I think, the latest version uses it. I'm working really? on it for the, a version the of the closure code. IDE thing. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, a lot people are starting to use it. the The main competitor is AppJS, and from what I can tell, that community is a lot more vibrant. But that may just be because most of them are on the Western Hemisphere and a lot of the Node WebKit guys are in China. So, so what is AppJS? It's a similar project. I don't know the technical details as well, but it's Node and WebKit combined. I think they're using Chromium Embedded Frame, which is similar. Another, It's another version of Chromium that you can mix with things. Huh. So why would you use Node WebKit instead of AppJS? So... They have different abilities and they work different. Like, it's mostly very technical. I mean, they're all the same idea. You can make desktop apps with Node. 
Sure. But, like, for example, in, I think AppJS doesn't merge the event loops. I could be wrong. I think they just have two threads and then serialize the data across them, which has different performance implications. And then mine, TopCube, I believe is still two threads. I haven't worked on it in a couple of years, so I don't know what the people who forked it have done. Right. And um, when you write an app in in uh, Node WebKit or in AppJS, are, are they are they like cross-platform applications? So Node WebKit's the one I'm most familiar with. So after you write your app, you want to bundle it as a native app. So you'll have this folder. That's the core logic of your app. It's going to have an index.html, a package.json, some JavaScript files, maybe a node modules folder. And that's the core of your app. And then on Mac, what you'll do is you download the skeleton nodewebkit.app and in contents, resources, somewhere deep inside there, you drop this folder. And then you like give it your own icon and then you mess with the contents plist and special Apple specific things and you customize it. And then you take your same core app for Linux and you like concatenate it with the node webkit binary and that single binary is now an app. And then on Windows, I think you do something else. So the packaging for each app is different because they're different platforms, but your core logic can remain unchanged. Interesting. So it seems like that's one of the... I'm, I was trying to think, if this is awesome, why would you ever want to just use Chrome native apps? And it's because you don't have to do any of the packaging stuff. Chrome will just take care of it all for you. That sounds like one of the downsides. Is that something they're trying to make easier? Yeah, I mean, the goal is after after the core platform stable to make packaging and tooling a lot easier. I mean, that that's not that hard. I have a, I have a couple of make scripts I'm using. Sure. I was going to say you could just build a make file and then say uh, build these targets. Now, Chromium Chrome native what is this? Is that the same as like Pepper apps or is this something else? Oh, that's different. I'm googling stuff about it because I don't know a ton. It's not the NACL thing. Right, NACL is like writing C++ and running it in a browser. Yeah. In a sandbox. I'm trying to find links for it. I haven't done stuff with I do know that there is a permission system in Chrome where you can give a web page more permissions through like registering it as an app. We do that on Cloud9 to get better clipboard integration, for example. But it's still a web page. It's still something you point your browser to and run. And you have to be online to use it or use cache manifest to make it work offline. It's very browser oriented. So one question that I have is that, see, so you get the general, like managing a workflow in something like this makes sense. You know, it, you just have another page and you effectively just build links that, that take you through it or add buttons or things like that. First off, is, is the styling CSS or, you know, is the look and feel managed in a different way? So in Node WebKit, it's it's just a WebKit canvas or a window. So you write your widgets using CSS or whatever framework you want. There are some native extensions they're adding. You can you can hook into the native app menu. You can hook into the native system tray. The release yesterday added a new open event where you can register your app to open certain file types. So when they double click on that file type in their file browser, it'll open in your browser and you get an open event. So there's a lot of native extensions, but the core of it is the same as, as the web. It's all HTML and CSS. You can use Canvas, you can use WebGL, but it's the same technologies as a browser as far as the look and feel. Okay. The other and, question I have is just, you know, you're talking about native extensions or native 
things that you can build into it. And I mean, obviously, some apps you're going to want to access like a webcam or other devices that are attached to the machine and things like that. I think it's pretty clear that that's going to be different depending on what your operating system is. Is there worry that this might get out of sync, say, for Mac versus Windows versus Linux? Or are they just not going to release those features until they're stable across the board? So it depends on which route you're going. If you're going the Chromium route, they're standard across platforms because it's part of the HTML5 spec. Like, you can use RTC and Node WebKit and get at the camera using that. Now, if you go the Node route, then your Node modules need to be cross-platform with the same API or you're going to have issues. Because you can have native Node extensions that are just arbitrary C code. Uh huh. But you, you can use Node or browser, whichever is more convenient. And for like camera, I know that's supported through the browser side. Oh, interesting. So you, if, if you want to access native devices, it just, for some stuff, you would just be able to use the browser APIs. Well, the Chrome APIs, I guess. And for other stuff, you'd have to write platform specific code or use like different extensions based on what or different modules based on what platform you're on or something. Right. Like if you wanted to make like an Arduino editor, I don't think there is a browser spec to connect to the serial port and speak Arduino protocol, but there is a node module for that. So you would just use the node side for that. Sweet. Okay. This is still hurting my brain a little bit. I'm like having a hard time wrapping my head around this. So say you just want to take some web app that you have and like port it over so it runs. I mean, this would be kind of pointless because it already runs fine in a browser, but just port it over so it runs in, in, <laughs> in Node WebKit. Like, would you have to have a local server running or would you just make it so all your links are the same and you just hit a server running somewhere else? So you have the file colon slash slash protocol. And that'll let you open any any static files within your archive, within your package. And you can also start a local node server if you wanted. And that way you can like dynamically generate HTML, which the browser then renders. And that's one of the things I'm playing with to port existing apps, is I just run a local node server on the loopback device on a random port, tell the browser what that random port is, and then the browser like redirects to that new URL. And that's all bundled inside the app? Or right. is that a separate, the node server is running is like a separate thing? No, the node server is running inside in the same process, same thread. Oh man, that's so cool. And then later when you want to optimize and customize it, you can just reach into the node side and grab references because you can see those objects. The whole, the whole point of this is to save the serialization cost of going back and forth. So is anyone using this to actually test out their web apps? It occurs to me that this might be a good way to essentially you know, wrap up a web app that you want to test but don't want to go do end runs to servers or whatever. You could just cram it in there and make it work. I have not heard of anyone doing that. I think Phantom and the other tools are better for that. But I I mean I guess you could. It's it's a WebKit. But it, it's not it's not headless. So right. for testing you usually want something headless. I agree. I, I meant more along the lines of like manually testing or, you know, looking at an application. Yeah, for the case of I just want to give someone one program and they can run my app, server and client, then it works great for that because it's all bundled together. That is really cool. I, I did some work a few years ago now on this um, like scientific software thing for a mass spectrometer, and we just did it as a Rails app. And it would have been, maybe there is something like this to do it. I wasn't super familiar with Rails when I did it, but it would have been really nice to just be able to hand them one thing that they could just click on and run instead of having to run a server and then a separate browser window. So this is really cool. 
Well, you could do that with this. Your node would spawn Rails, and then the front end would speak to Rails over HTTP. But there might be easier ways to do that. I mean, they, yeah. they obviously couldn't be in the same context because they're different languages, they're different VMs. Right. But if you, let's say you open another window, so you have like a multi-window application, you can run all of that within the same context because it's all running off of the same node virtual machine. Right. I mean, just it's just the same as a browser. All tabs can see each other. The only reason they can't is because of security restrictions. Right. I mean, other than like Chrome's change where they made it multi-process, browsers were always a single process. So what, what, you know, I'm not super familiar with what Chromium is versus what maybe Chrome or something else is. So Chromium is the open source fork of Chrome, right? So Chrome is completely Google branded and it has Flash built and it has proprietary plugins that have ambiguous licensing restrictions built in. Chromium just has the stuff that's the open source. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then I'm a little curious, Tim, when you use it, do you actually use some of the, like the templating languages and things to build your your app or do you just you know build straight up html and and then just get some of the goodies from javascript uh personally i i avoid server-side html as much as possible and i just dom build in the browser okay like i don't i don't even like generating html in the browser and then use an inner html with it because that's where you get an injection attacks if you're always using the dom building apis you don't have that so, so I, I don't completely understand the security implications of using just uh, server-generated HTML over DOM-generated or DOM-managed HTML. Oh, so the whole the whole basic premise of injection attacks is you're generating this big string that contains HTML, some user-generated content, and then you're parsing that as HTML. And if you don't escape it properly, you have an injection attack. But if you skip the parsing step, if you never parse HTML in the first place. You can't have that problem. When you're using DOM APIs, you say document.createElement or create text node, and you set text content. And there never is a step where you're parsing HTML. Right. So if you do have a static or, or server-generated HTML, but you're not you're not reading from it to send information back to the server, then you probably won't have the injection issue anyway, or am I misunderstanding something? Yeah, the injection issue is where you're taking user data, like data from database or anything, and mixing it with HTML and then parsing it. Or same thing for like queries. They type a search in a in a search form. You generate this big SQL string and then execute right. it. That's how you get Bobby drop tables or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, I understand SQL injection. So I, I can see where some of the other funky stuff could come up. There are actually some. This is a totally a tangent, but there are some templating libraries that instead of doing parsing and having to like whitelist characters or whatever that actually use the DOM to build up their, like create text elements and stuff. So I really like that because um, it avoids that whole issue. You don't have to count on someone else's implementation of guarding against cross-site scripting being good. You just have to count on the browsers, which is seems pretty good. So I know this is kind of we're going off on a tangent here, but it seems like that's not too much of an issue. You know, like it, it's not like the characters you need to escape are ambiguous or unknown. Man, a very you should never lit. underestimate like the ingenuity of people trying to break stuff 
Like you, you think that you can think, okay, escape script tags and like escape angle brackets, but no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You should just use like the little snippet from jQuery. That's the regex replace. I mean, what I'm saying is you don't even need to be concerning yourself with this. It's a problem that's been solved many times over. It's been solved in Ruby. It's been solved in jQuery. It's been solved in every language and it's the same thing. So, I mean, if you take the things that you know, you need to, to escape and you escape them with a little snippet from a library that's been used for the past five to 10 years. I don't see where the. So you said if you take risks, you know, you need to escape, like then suddenly what if someone doesn't escape the things they know they need to escape? But if you're, I'm just saying if if you make it from like jQuery, for example, right? Like jQuery's dot text. It's been there for many, many years, right? Sure. But what if someone doesn't know about it? It uses dot HTML. Well, that kind of person probably isn't the kind of person that's iterating through the DOM tree either, right? Yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying that there are there are things you can use that don't count on you doing the right thing to make it secure. But that would count on you using that thing, which is the right thing. Sure. So it still implies like a level of education. Like you, st- either way, you have to be aware of the problem in order to find a solution. Right. But it's easier when when the only choice is the right choice. But that's never the case because you always have to f- take the first step to educate yourself, right? Like you'd have to know that the framework handles the cross-site scripting, right? In which case you're already educated about cross-site scripting. I think we're in violent agreement. I'm, I'm just violent saying, agreement. Yeah. Uh, my my issue with the uh, the front end don- or JavaScript generated DOM elements is that when I'm writing tests for it, it's kind of a hassle. Well, so uh, I'm on a project right now where we're using um, XJS. Um, Don't get me started on why I like or don't like it, because it's an exercise in frustration using the framework, to be honest. Um, And that's probably just because I don't completely understand the mindset behind the people who created it. But that's another issue. Anyway, so we are using their APIs to generate the pages that we're loading up for folks. And um, the issue is, is that when we go ahead and try and run the tests, we then have to run the tests on something that knows how to parse uh, or knows how to execute the uh, JavaScript so that we can actually, you know, interact with the page. And uh, so testing it is, is a real hassle because, you, you know, if you're, if you're going to do any kind of integration test or uh, acceptance test, then you have to do it with something that can both manage the DOM and execute the JavaScript. So anyway, that 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 that's my tangent on your tangent on <laughs> on this tangential podcast of tangents. Tangentception. Right. That's where I would use either Phantom JS or Node with JS DOM. Right. And we're using Selenium, I think, right now for, for this. It's what what I've been working on all all morning this morning and um, what I worked on for a good chunk of the day yesterday is is, is hooking up Selenium, which actually kind of ghost drives a Firefox browser. Selenium is scary. I always, you can write really exact things, but they're always really brittle. Like if you change a class, suddenly all your tests are broken or something. Yeah, it depends on what selectors you're using and how you're making it work. But yeah, anyway. So- 
so let's that... go let's go back to uh node webkit uh, all right what are we're back say, aj no i was i was still going to continue on the thing with the testing like the one thing that we do here is we do dot js for things that are going to be manipulated by javascript and dot css for things that are going to be used for style so like we prefix with css hyphen or js hyphen and that kind of cuts back on the on the oh you changed it and you broke it because when we're changing style things when you see the js hyphen you know that, that element needs to stay relative in that place in order for it to continue work from the programmatic perspective I can understand that. I don't think you completely grasp the amount of magic that happens in XJS and the <laughs> fact that it generates a whole bunch of classes and IDs that you can hook onto, you know, grab onto and, and um, you know, either you know, fire a click or, you know, do whatever on. And so, anyway, there's enough magic there and in the way they manage the DOM to where it that's not really an approach that I think we could take. But I do I like believe it. you. I do like it for for smaller projects where you do have that level of control. So anyway, that and and that kind of you know let let's come back around to that point. You know, how do you test these Node WebKit applications? You're channeling Joe there. How do you test them? Yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on it. figure out how to develop them. Right. Even though it does have WebKit Inspector built in, it's a very different workflow. You don't save your code and hit refresh. Yeah, or, it's right. true driven development. Or not all the time. I mean, you can some. There's a there's a mode where it has like a little mini browser bar on top with a refresh button. Mm -hmm. And I use that when I'm developing. And then when I go to deploy, I just turn that off. Right. But I mean, it's not the same as a browser. A browser, I'm just so much more used to. Mm -hmm. It seems like as far as testing the the lower level stuff, the things that you would do unit tests for, I don't think that changes a lot. But if you're doing some kind of acceptance or integration test from the top level, I'm, I'm a little curious as to if there's a good way to do that. Yeah, especially if you want to like test the native extensions. I want to make sure that the native menu in the OS has this certain entry. Like, how in the world would you test that? You know, it seems like a thing that the like the old school desktop application developers probably have some stuff to to tell us about. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, there's there's OS level hooks like in Windows there were GDI hooks, but most of those tools are terrible. That was why I yes. convinced my graduate teacher to use Selenium instead of those. I'm like, just write web apps and save yourself the pain. <laughs> so Node WebKit is like this mix between the web world and the native app world. Yeah, and and it's it's where it bridges over into one that kind of makes it confusing as far as hooking in and doing any kind of automated testing on it. I will say, though, the, the use cases I have for it is I'm basically taking a web app and making a native version of it. So I can do most of my developing and testing on the web version. Mm -hmm. And then when I... And I'll share the bulk of my code with the native version. And so all that's already tested. So then I just have to like manually test the extra things that are different in the native version. So what do you have to change in order to get a web app into a native app? So with Node WebKit, the big thing is there's no web server by default. It's just local files. And But what I'm doing for most of mine is I just spawn a local web server, and that way I can reuse a lot of the code. And then I abstract away communication where possible on the app. Like, I have this VFS library that lets you edit file systems, and it's, it's, it's an interface. It's a defined interface. And 
whether you're using it through WebSockets or locally in Node, it's the same API. So in the Node WebKit version, I would just hand the reference to the browser. But in the browser version, or in the yeah, in in, in the non-native version, I would proxy the object through WebSockets and some RPC layer. But in the end, it's still an object with the exact same API, so my code doesn't have to change. Oh, this is so mind-bending. So you, you don't like make requests to get data, you just call the actual functions you need to get data. Right, because I I have access to all the objects on the server. I don't have to call through the web to get at them. Right. So so you wind up basically hooking into your backend database and things directly instead of right calling into the webhooks to get your data. Right. And so the easiest way I found to, to share code between the two versions is to abstract that away in such a way that it's the same API regardless. And then you just give different implementations of that to the different versions. So besides data privacy, why would you even want to do this? So one of the ones I'm working on is a native version of Cloud9. And that would be much better. Oh, yeah. I'll buy that. Because we have, because in the Cloud9 interface, you have tabs. And then the browser has tabs. And the key bindings fight with each other. And when you're a native app, there are no pre-existing key bindings. You have full control of the entire space. So you can you can do a lot more. Plus, I have actual native OS menus. I can use the real OSX menu instead of having a bar on the top of my browser. Uh-huh. So for full-on applications, it makes a lot of sense because you get the full native integration. Right. So So then, yeah, it makes sense in the sense that you're not just doing it because that your data will live on your machine, but you're doing it because you effectively remove a layer of complexity by not having to deal with the browser. Right. And it also makes it easier to have an offline mode because instead of having to deal with cache manifest and local storage and all that, you get the file system and node and much more powerful things. So you can do an offline app a lot easier. Right. Are there, are there any other applications of this that you've seen that seem to really pay off having a, a localized version as well as an online version? I'm not sure. I haven't seen a lot of people doing both. Most of the people I've seen using this kind of tool is just to make native desktop apps using web technologies, the same way phone gaps used on mobile. You want to make a native mobile app, but you want to use HTML. Right. And so there are the trade-offs that are that are always inherent in that in the sense that if you have a you know an html based app you may not get all of the features and functionality that you would get out of a native app but at the same time you may not need it and since you already know the technologies you can probably spin something up much more quickly that way right and especially if you don't need the native ui widgets you don't lose a lot right in some ways it's almost i mean it seems like the browser has its own widget look and feel now that's coming together. So I could see it being a consistent, like almost a better consistent. Yeah, basically. But I mean, there's other stuff that's taking lots of cues from it too. But I could see it being its own like consistent UI across platforms. Yeah, and and there's nothing stopping you from packaging a different CSS for the different platforms because you're bundling it different for each one. So somewhere in your build step, you just bundle different scripts. Right, and then you pull in a um, a CSS that makes the look and feel consistent with whatever operating system you're going after. Just got to have that Twitter bootstrap bar across the top of my page, and I'm fine. I feel lonely without it now. I, I recently came across a really good article from the AppJS community talking about how to skin your window for different operating systems. 
one thing the AppJS and Node WebKit both allow you to do is to have a Chromeless window where you don't have the native bar on top. And so what you have to do is you have to implement your own bar using HTML and then just declare through CSS or something what parts are draggable. And then, and then you can use whatever CSS you want for the bar. And you can do Chrome style tabs that are up in your title bar or whatever you want. That is so cool. I think I have to just like sit down and think about this to really understand all the implications of it. So let's talk about AppJS a little. It's, it's slightly different. I'm looking at their webpage and the biggest difference is you're doing all this from the node side. So you require AppJS as a module. You say, I want to serve my files from here. And then I want to handle these requests this way. So it's more like making an express server. And then you say, I want to create a window with these dimensions. So it's, it's more like a UI add-on to Node, whereas Node WebKit is more like a browser with Node inside of it. Does that make sense? Perfect. And then, I mean, Firefox has been doing this for a long time. I think their latest version is called Mozilla Chrome or something. And then there was... Mozilla Chrome. That wouldn't get confusing. Chrome. <laughs> something like this. Chrome in the name. But it, it's, it's a similar, similar tool. Maybe it was Chromeless. One of those. Uh huh. But it's a, it's a similar tool for making native apps using web tech. Right. Found it. It is called Chromeless. Chromeless is one of them, but I was thinking <laughs> the newer one. That's kind of a snarky oh, name. It's inactive. <laughs> well, no, because Mozilla called it Chrome before Chrome did, right? Like, Chrome called it Chrome because Mozilla called it Chrome. Really? I haven't heard this. What do you mean? What's it? Uh, so, the Chrome of the browser. The you mean reason, like UI Chrome? Right. The reason that Chrome is called Chrome is because it doesn't have much Chrome. So they should have called it Chromeless. Yeah, except that's too long. It's got like two syllables in it. I mean, come on. They're Google. they got to have stuff that's <laughs> a little more catchy than that. Right. All right. So is there anything else to know about this? I, I realize we've not been talking for too awful long, but... And I want to make sure go home everything. and think. Yeah, I'm still experimenting with it. It's... It's really powerful and it's a really different way of thinking. But for years, I've wanted to be able to make native desktop apps using technologies I know. Right. I mean, I used to do GTK Python and Swing and Windows stuff, and every platform has its own APIs, and it's just terrible. So um, if someone wants to get started with this, what's the best way? Is there like a getting started guide? Is it just to clone it and play with it? The Node WebKit project, there's, I don't think there's a lot of getting started resources. You just, you download the binary for whatever platform you're on and just start writing. It just There's just a part somewhere in the folder structure where you put your HTML. I would recommend just reading through the wiki. It's not that big, and it shows you all the features and what it can do. For AppJS, there's a pretty active community on tutorials and third-party stuff, so they'll, they'll happily walk you through it. Cool. Sounds good. Well, maybe we'll have to play with it and then revisit this. This was fun. This wasn't fun. This was pain. So I think this was awesome. Yeah. I think I think I think it's really interesting and it's always exciting to see tools come up like this that remove some of the barrier to to things like things like desktop app development. So I'm I'm really excited to to give it a shot and see what it can do. Yeah, I can't wait to have some opportunity to play with it. I just don't know what I'm gonna use it for. Yeah. A to-do list. A native to-do list. Yeah, so it's fast. So you get your stuff done faster. Well, you, you got to think outside the box. You can now create your own file type and register your app with that. And when they double-click on that file, it opens your app. I mean, 
the possibilities are endless. Yep. I'm still only thinking of the to-do list. So you should make a <laughs> saves to-do list on your hard drive. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But well, clearly the bottleneck into doing into doing stuff is clicking the box that says you did it. So I think my fast to-do list app will make a big difference for my productivity. There you go. And maybe, maybe with the uh, di- digit extensions, you could have up to one million of those different types. <laughs> it's true. Yep. What were you going to say, Tim? I was just going to say, I, I think most of these projects now have system tray integration where you can have a little icon on your top bar on a Mac and clicking on that does a menu and you can, you can do stuff. Oh, that's so cool. That would be so cool. I'm really excited for this. I just have to go play with it now. Yep. Go check it Jameson, out. Jameson, let's get together this weekend and play. I can't. No knockout is this weekend. I meant next weekend. Okay. You should use it for no knockout. That is actually a thing I was thinking of because we're, it's too late. No one's going to hear my ideas before no knockout. We're thinking about doing some game stuff. So that, that could be really cool to do natively. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like the idea. So if you want to play it online for whatever reason you can, and, and the cool thing is, is then you can pull it native. It does, it, it does have WebGL. Well, none of us know 3D stuff. So we'd just make like black triangles that would spin around. That'd be the whole game. Yeah. I will tell you from my experience last year on Node Knockout, whatever you do, make it easy to test. I wrote, what do you mean easy to test? Just easy for someone to pick up and use? Right. So last year, my entry was WebGL bindings for Node. And it only really worked on WebOS devices. How many of the judges happen to have touchpads? <laughs> the only way I won is by going to every after party, find out all the judges, and showing them my app. Because otherwise, they had no clue. But if it's a if it's a native app, you can just like say, here's a link to the DMG and the Linux installer and the Windows installer. Have fun. Yeah, that would be so cool. So that's probably a little easier to test. My gears are turning. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out of this weekend. It looks like I'm going to be a judge and not a contestant this year. A judge, huh? I was a judge the first year. The second year, I got tired of judging and wanted to compete. But I'm just too busy. So I think I'll be a judge again. I trust these hundreds of dollars I've slipped you will keep you impartial in the right direction. Absolutely. (laughs) Excellent. Directed impartialness. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the picks. AJ, what are your picks? Oh, not me first. I can go. Jameson, what are your picks? I prepared. Okay. Two things this week. One is this incredible article on a website called polygon.com. Um, it's like a gaming journalism website. They have this long write-up of basically the fall of a game studio and all the things that went wrong with them building a product. And just as a person working at a product company, um, I think every time you launch anything, you go through some struggles. But it's been really good to read like how awful it was for these people and how comparatively much better off I am. Um, and it's just really fascinating insight into building stuff and building video games and I don't know. It's really great read. Really, really well written. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the other pick is this slide deck. I wasn't at RubyConf, so Chuck can probably talk about how much more awesome this was than I can. But it's this talk by Sarah May called "The Insufficiency of Good Design," and it's basically about how the communication patterns in your organization create a lot of code smells. So if you, it's kind of like an extension of, of what is that 
Conway's law, Conrad's yeah, law, Conway's law, Conway's law. There it is where the structure of your application mirrors the structure of your organization. Um, but it, it goes really in depth into how better communication between team members can lead to a lot better code. And some of the problems caused by lack of communication, they get like directly imported into your code. It's just really great. And the slides are, um, she kind of wrote out her whole talk in the slide notes. So it was really easy to follow, even though I didn't see the talk. So those are my picks. Nice. Yeah, I have to admit, I was at RubyConf and I didn't go to that talk. That talk was the keynote on Saturday morning and I was chatting with somebody and missed it. Oh, well, so. hopefully they put it up because I want to watch it. it it's a yeah. really great read. It'll be up. It'll be up on Confreaks. So if you follow Confreaks on Twitter, you should be able to see it come up. There were actually quite a few good talks at RubyConf that I think apply to people of other languages as well. It's just in 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 that case, all of the examples are going to be in Ruby. Tim, what are your picks? So my picks are AppJS and Node WebKit, and because I think they're cool, but that's why we talked about it. And also to now that the election is over and a president is picked, let's all stop fighting each other and work as one country. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. I mean, and and it's interesting because you know if you know if you know me, you know that I wasn't thrilled about uh, President Obama being reelected. However, arguing over whether or not he's the right guy is kind of a moot point at this point. So just figure out, you know, how to make the best of it, you know, either either by supporting his policies if you support them or, you know, just just getting involved and in, in doing whatever it is that you feel like you can do to to make things work rather than I, I know that there are people out there that when they lose their sore losers and they just jump in and try and make it horrible for everybody and and that's not the right answer. So, so be positive, try and find ways to to help and just make things go and make things go well. So, yeah, I agree. And and yeah. thanks for pointing that out, Tim. All right. AJ, what are your picks? Okay. So, uh recently I went to Macaroni Grill and they've got a fall special that's a like a like butternut squash something or other or other. And uh, I didn't actually get that as my entree. I got something else. But I tried a little bit of it, and it's really good. So if you're into Italian food and you're into Romano's Macaroni Grill, go check it out while they've got it because it's only for like the next three or four months or something. And then it goes back to their spring menu or whatever. Also, I am kind of pleased with JCPenney's online catalog. They have a lot of tall sizes. Unfortunately, none of them are really slim enough for me, but I ordered like the whole catalog and I've tried it on and I'm going to return a lot of things, but it's been fun. Cool. All right. So a couple of picks that I have. The first one is actually something that comes with Mac OS. It's the stickies. Um, it's a little sticky notes that you can put up on your screen that are, they're, they're, they're the E sticky notes, I guess, rather than like the sticky pads that you get at the office store. Yeah, they're just awesome. So if I need to make a note of something, it's really easy just to pull one up or create a new one and then just go with it. So that's one pick. Another pick that I have is there's a game that I was playing on the iPad that I really enjoyed, and they released it for the desktop on the Mac. So in the Mac App Store, if you're not a Mac user, I'm sorry, <coughs> but uh, in the Mac App Store, it's called Field Runners. And it's a tower defense game. It's a lot of fun. So uh, if you're into tower defense games and you think it would be interesting for you to play, 
then by all means, you know, uh, go check it out. And those are my picks. We'll wrap the show up. Are there any announcements, guys? Just no check out. Yeah, just check out the no knockout entries. Um, hopefully, they'll be done by the time this goes up. So, yeah, if it's this weekend, it'll be over. So, yeah, go see who won. Go see what they did that was cool. I think judging will be next week, right? Is that how it works, Tim? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's some audience participation thing. Like, I don't know how it exactly works, but there will be lots of cool stuff that people will make. So it'll be fun to look at. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, let's call this a show, and we'll catch y'all next week. See ya.